five years ago tonight, um, well I suppose about five years and two months ago, Paul and I were away at a wedding and on Saturday morning at breakfast, Paul said we should start a storytelling night and within around 10 minutes, get the hint, we had the format of 10 by 9 put together. I wanted to call it 9 by 10 and charge. And Paul was like, we're calling it 10 by 9 and it's always going to be free. And um, within around 10 minutes, we had it sorted out. The idea, the format, the everything. And um, I texted him a few days later at work and said, are you definitely sure that you want to do this? And he wrote back nonchalantly, ah, yeah, sure. And then I texted him an hour later and said, I've got us a venue booked till Christmas. And then he swore. And um, we have continued on since then and we are delighted to be a part of the storytelling scene in Belfast and we're thrilled that you come. The idea was always that 10 by 9 was for people who wanted to tell stories. If they had the story to just tell it, the whole point is that it is for true stories whether you're confident or nervous. It was never for recruiting to an idea or recruiting to a religion or trying to get people to, trying to convince people about one way of thinking or another. We edit those bits out when we get the text in advance and say, buy people a pint and convince them over a pint. When you're here, it's just for the story. People should be wondering what's going to happen next. And we are delighted and thrilled that so many of you come along so often. Thank you very much for doing that. We're delighted. Every, every time Podrick starts the introduction, he never says who he is. So, to all of you who are not blessed with wide knowledge, he's Podrick Otuma and I'm Paul Doran. Yes, five years ago we started 10 by 9, always free, uh, very simple format. We have nine people telling true stories and they have up to 10 minutes to do it. It means that they focus on the story and what's important, and it means for the audience, you know that if that story is awful, you will not have to sit through more than 10 minutes. That is the deal. Our next story comes from Louise Nielsen. Hey, Louise, give a round of applause. There's a reason why farmers don't allow their children to name cows. They mean to shield us from the harsh realities of life until we're old enough to appreciate a perfectly cooked steak. Occasionally, my dad calls the milking cows names if get, they get their heads stuck in a feeder or if they break through an electric fence, but these are names that can't be repeated in polite company. Names are too personal, but numbers are sufficient enough to record their existence and identify the ones old enough to be sent on a one-way trip to the meat factory. I suppose it was my fault that I accidentally tricked my dad into naming and thus cultivating a relationship with one of our bulls. It was my 10th birthday. I was helping to feed the calves when Dad produced a contraption that looked like a medieval version of the ear-piercing gun from Claire's accessories <laughs> and a plastic bag of yellow tags that he handed to me. Four calves had been born that day and they needed to be tagged. Dad tugged at a calf's ear with one hand and reached out for the ear tag with the other. As I looked down at the tag to hand to him, I had an epiphany. It was a number, but the number was also a name. Is that calf a boy or a girl, I asked. A boy, why? I handed him the tag. He had given the calf an earring before he clocked the number and smiled to humour me. 007. <laughs> I picked up the cat that was nuzzling into my leg and put its tail across my face with a moustache. I've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. <laughs> there you go now, that's a birthday present for you, he said before moving on to the next calf. It was a tiny moment of his day, a happy coincidence that he would have surely forgotten if I had not taken further action. The next day I went into school and announced during our news 
the segment of the class where juicy bits of lo local gossip were divulged to the teacher, that I had gotten a cat for my birthday. His name was 007 and I was taking bookings for appointments to see him. <laughs> All havoc broke loose. This is 2001, Celtic Tiger Ireland, and even innocent country children wanted bigger and better. Who knew that cats would, would be more in demand than Tamagotchis? <laughs> Pretty soon I was rolling in Nutella sandwiches, strawberry milk, dairy dunkers and Pokemon cards, all bribes offered in exchange for kids to bump up the waiting list to meet 007. <laughs> Eventually, the teacher intervened and rang my mother to ask if she could bring the class to the farm to see him. You'd swear David Attenborough himself had asked to come for tea. <laughs> Mom made Dad put on his best overalls and I briefed him on what to expect requesting 007 to be moved to one of the nicer pens, the one without the bent bucket holders and less rusty hinges, and preferably front and centre. This is only the beginning of the special treatment 007 was about to receive. I thought that since he was my birthday present, I would know all, about, all the answers to the questions the teacher would ask, but I was outdone by Dean Mulligan. He knew that 007 was a Frisian and he would grow horns that would have to be cut off. Is he going to be a bull or a bullock? Dean asked. He'll be called in a couple of weeks along with the next batch, Dad answered. I had no idea what they were talking about until Dean informed me later that bulls stay in the field while bullocks have their bits chopped off and are sent to the factory. I'd weighed myself into an awful state by the time I got home. Every time Dad came into the house, I shouted, Murderer! <laughs> Hoping to shame him out of his unrepented ways. <laughs> After days of protest, I got the result I wanted. The rest of the males were culled and 007 was placed in the paddock along with the springers. Dad insisted that it was a one-off and that I would have to learn that the world is not fair and sometimes I would have to like it or lump it. I nodded as I tucked into my roast beef dinner. <laughs> Delighted that I had swayed the powers of the universe in my favour. Two years passed. 007 had fallen out of fashion with my classmates by the time I had started my first year of secondary school. Both of us reached puberty at the same time, and while I was faced with the prospect of letting a 12-year-old boy poke his tongue into my mouth and let it rest there for as long as we both could hold our breaths, my bovine counterpart had graduated into the wild open fields of paradise, populated with eligible heifers, with whom he was expected to perform. Dad gave him a couple of months to conquer his territory before calling the scanning man. The scanning man was the equivalent of an ultrasound technician, only instead of putting gel on the mammy's tummy, he stuck a mini camera not onto, but into the cow's stomach from the rear end. It was impressive how far he could get his arm to go in there. <laughs> the whole thing disappeared in, right up to his armpit, and he rummaged around, true story, and he was... <laughs> He rummaged around for signs of mini 007s, each time coming up with nothing. Not one had a bun in the oven. It didn't make sense. 007 was supposed to be a stud. The bovine James Bond, flanked by an array of Bond girls, with no evil vi villain to get in the way. But it seemed that he was nothing without his fast cars and fancy gadgets. Dad called him names that can't be repeated in polite company. What am I supposed to do? Get some candles and a takeaway? A picnic basket? Champagne? Vodka martini shake not stirred. There is only one remedy. 
007 needed a nemesis to get the ball rolling. A big ginger hulk of a limousine bow was let into the paddock. As we walked and stalked through the grass towards the herd, I christened him Goldfinger. <laughs> 007's ears pricked up and his eyes locked onto his new rival. His nostrils flared and he began to bellow. They stomped towards each other until they were nose ring to nose ring. All the while, Dad praying that they wouldn't kill each other and Mom convinced they were going to. There's going to be too much testosterone in that field, she had warned him before. And she was waiting for her chance to say, you fucking idiot, now look at you <laughs> I didn't want to watch. 007 walked in a circle around Goldfinger and started to slow down his breathing. He appeared to want to be given a piggyback. <laughs> Goldfinger seemed to want to give him a piggyback. <laughs> they seemed to be getting along well. <laughs> Too well. Dad had gotten what he wanted, although the chances of procreation had greatly decreased. <laughs> what the? It's not funny, he shouted at my mother and I. We had both keeled over with laughter and were now on our knees. He's off to the factory in the morning, that's it. I can't sell the fecker. Who wants a gay bull? <laughs> I'm not sure if 007 sensed the situation that he was in, or merely wanted to extend the love to the female next to him. But pretty soon, 007 and Goldfinger had invited two heifers to the party. And then another, and then another. And judging by the relieved smile that had fallen across Dad's face, he would live to die another day. Thank you very much, Louise. That story came from the night where the theme was love. And um, Louise had sent in a few stories, and I wrote back saying, those are great, but is there anyone that would go along with the theme for love for LGBT now, for during Pride? And she just sent a very simple message back that said, I have a story about a gay bull, would that do? <laughs> and it definitely does.